Hi there, Peter Griffin. You know, a lot of us here at Family Guy are frankly sickened by the sorry state of education in this country and how little you people read anymore. So for this next cutaway, we're going to make you read it. That's right, you heard me. Do a little work once in a while instead of having everything spoon-fed. You want your yucks put in a little effort. All right, go ahead. Guys show is brought to you by Audible. Go to bookguys.ca slash audible and get a free book just for signing up for a free trial. This is the Book Guys Show. We are back again with some books, audiobooks, audio dramas, and podcasts. My name is Paul the Book Guy Alves, and I am joined this week by quite a few people here in the room. I've never seen the Skype uh, window uh, lit up so brightly. Uh, we are joined today by, as always, uh, Greg the Book Guyot. Thank you for having me, Paul. It's as good to be back. Always, as always, thank you for uh, joining. And uh, Sir Jimmy. Hey, I'm back. And a message from Nobot. He said he thought he was the book guy. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Not Orson Scott Card, eh? No, no, he wanted me to say that. <laughs> okay, very cool, very cool. Uh, Jim the Book Guy Phillips. Good evening, everyone. How y'all doing? Good times. And we are joined by some special guests, uh, guest author, Kamanzi Constable. How are you doing, sir? Hello, everybody. It's an honor to be on with uh, all the book guys. There you go. And uh, it's not just guys this week, so I can't just say it's all book guys, because uh, we're also joined from uh, from the blog emmacunningham.ca. I hope I didn't get that wrong. Uh, Emma is here. Hello, Emma. Hi. Hi, you did get the URL correct, and it's nice to be here. Yeah, very nice to have you. Very nice to have you here. And this is episode 30, title to be announced. We usually figure out our titles afterwards. Uh, I have a quick announcement of some some coming up. I know I know Greg's dying to talk about the Oscars, but... Oh, we have confirmed. Uh, joining us soon for a full episode of Book Guys will be the author of the Jack Palms uh, series... Seth Harwood, and uh, we are going to be having a special episode, Palms Sunday, coming up in the near future, where he'll talk to us about uh, the Jack Palms series and uh, all the other great stuff he's working on. Of course, if, you, uh, if you're familiar with Jack Palms, that's the, uh, the theme there being played in the background. And I believe we are starting off today. Uh, first off, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about... Um, that we, we do now have our episodes being uh, transcribed for the hearing impaired and for Google and for all those great reasons by the nice folks at protranscript.com. And I really want to thank them for uh, sponsoring that. It's really cool. Uh, someone who's deaf and, and reads books can, uh, you know, now uh, n- not only, um, you know, read our website, but they can also read our shows, which I think is pretty cool. There's no way for me to make fun of that, so keep going. Yeah, yeah. I was waiting for a, a quick. Uh, the <laughs> book no guys are all remark. Yeah. As soon as you start adding, you know, yeah. blind people, I can't. I have nothing to say. 
Well, you'll have you'll be able to make fun of the next one because we're going to talk about some zombies here. Science fiction. Oh, I know uh, Mr. Jim, the book guy, Phillips. You're familiar with the work of uh, Mer Lafferty. And, oh, most certainly, of course. Yeah, and and she got together with a gentleman that I know that Greg is uh, Greg the book guy. I is familiar with uh, Jonathan Colton. Yep. Yep. Uh, he's provided the music, and I believe he provides uh, one of the voices for this as well. Uh, J.C. Hutchins, uh, the author, uh, also a Patio Books uh, author, is involved in this one. And uh, bonus for all our listeners, this one is free, uh, again, available on iTunes, and it's called The Takeover. Now, it's, it's, a, it's a short format uh, audio uh, drama, so I believe it's 10 episodes of about 10 minutes apiece. And that's, you know, including the theme song. We'll get to that after. But uh, I'm going to play a little short clip before we, we talk about it because it, it really is a lot of fun. If you like uh, the zombie genre, it's kind of a zombie uh, comedy uh, based in an office where the takeover references that uh, Zombink is being taken over. And uh, it does start off with uh, some music from Mr. Colton, who, who by the way, a long time ago, he, he did give us a permission to play any of his music on the podcast and uh we've neglected to 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 do that on any of the podcasts and uh we will be playing more of his stuff in in the future mer lafferty presents the takeover an audio drama hey tom it's bob from the office down the hall good to see you buddy how have you been things have been okay Said I'm a zombie now I really wish you'd let us in I think I speak for all of us When I say I understand Why you folks might hesitate To submit to our demand But here's an FYI You're all gonna your eyes We're at an impasse here Maybe we can compromise If you open up the door We'll all come inside and eat your brain Annie, God, she's so hot the zombie. Just look at her. Yeah, look at her trying to put a brain in the human coffee pot. Oh. Whoa there, Annie. That's the regular pot. The brains pot is the one over there. You know, the one with the picture of the brain on it. Zombies are driven much more by smell than they are by sight. If we want the zombies to use the correct coffee maker, we should probably rub a raw brain all over the coffee pot which will then draw the zombies to it. Raw brain? Of course. The cook brains lose much of their scent. Kind of like fish that way. Oh, God. For example, let me take this brain from Annie. Jeremy, please hold her back for me. Thank you. Okay, hold me back here. All we need to do is rub this brain all over the correct coffee pot and then drop it in the filter with the coffee and then, of course, turn the pot on. Jeremy, mate, you're bleeding. Yeah, she's so into me. Whatever, I'm going out for a fag. Bigot. It's a cigarette, you muppet. All right, Matt, you got a light, mate. Sure thing. 
I saw a bit of an altercation with the new PR chick. Everything okay? Oh, yeah. Well, Jeremy can't be turned, so he's getting his sick jollies from her biting him. But Dr. Jason just saved our coffee pot from having brains put in him, so that's good. Did you meet the new intern? Oh, you mean the green-nosing wannabe zombie? Yeah, I had the displeasure. Well, I'm trying to think that his eagerness means he'll work hard. Oh, whatever. Come on. You seriously think he'll be of any use to anyone except for Phil? I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. I'm working with zombies, aren't I? And I think you've reached the core of the problem right here. (laughs) So you guys can see that. It's a lot of fun. Um... Definitely not a serious, not a horror. It's uh, definitely uh, a comedy. A picture of the office meets zombies. And uh, I, I played that whole theme there because my, my only, you know, I have a little bit of a, a little pet peeve with the whole, the takeover, the way it's been presented online. Because originally it was a patio book. So it's a, it was 10, 10 minute episode every week. So you kind of have to listen to the intro on each 10 minute episode. So that adds 20 minutes to your listening where it could have, you know, when it, once it's done its run, they could have put it together into, you know, a one hour thing and just released it as a, you know, solid hour of entertainment. So I found myself, you know, although I love that song, I know we were all tapping our feet when it was playing. It's the whole having to listen to it every 10 minutes, you know. I could listen to that song every day, but I'm not. I'm not going to be. You know, I'm. I'm odd that way. I love Jonathan Colton. Oh no! And I, don't get me wrong. I love Jonathan Colton as well. But I, and I could have listened to it every week when you know if I was waiting for the next episode of the Takeover. I'm just saying now that it's you know done, and I wanted to listen to it in one sitting, which you can easily do in like an hour and twenty minutes. I uh, just didn't need to hear it every five minutes. That's all I'm saying. But it, lots of fun. And yes, the the marketing people cannot be turned to zombies. They can't get promotions because. Um, the zombie virus infects your brain, and we all know marketing people don't have brains. That's the whole uh, thing. Uh, <laughs> I like it. It looks really interesting. It looks really. Is, these are all. Uh, are these all British people? Where, where's this based out of? I got some accents in there. I'm not sure where where Mur is, uh, where she's based out of, but uh, I know that a lot of the people involved in in the whole project are. Uh, some of them are authors from. Um, from patiobooks.com, like J.C. Hutchins, who I believe we've talked about before. He's the, the guy who did the, the Seven Sun series on, on patio book format. And, uh, yeah, they're having a lot of fun. I believe Jonathan Colton, without spoiling it, he does um, do a voice in there as well. Good times. Hey, saying. Paul, I think I'm going to have to investigate. I think I dated that chick that kept saying coffee. <laughs> 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 you might have, <laughs> and this this marks the return for Foley artists, I guess. Yeah, you know what? And again, uh, the audio drama part of it very well done. Uh, the the zombie voice is very well done. They do a lot of uh, again. It is a full up blown on audio drama, so lots of different voices. Uh, really well produced, and uh, you can't beat the price. It's free. Just search iTunes for the takeover. And, uh, you know, when you see the one with the zombies and brains on it, that's the right one. You can download it for free in the podcast section. And I believe our next uh, book we're going to talk about, I think, Emma, you have a book for us, and it is... Fiction. 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 I do. I'm going to be talking about The Night Circus by Aaron Morgenstern. Ooh. So the first thing about this book is uh, don't read the back cover copy. Um, I found the back cover copy was highly inaccurate. It didn't really describe the book at all. Um, the back cover copy basically makes it sound like a action-packed, high-stakes adventure story. And in fact, it's um, more of a magical feel to it. It's written in, the, in a very ethereal voice. It's almost um, a fantasy novel 
packaged in a literary fiction box. Okay. Um, the prose is, is very, it's slow paced. It's um, a bit whimsical in style. Uh, it's it's kind of neat. It's written in out of order sequence from um, several narrators. I believe there are fifteen point of views that you uh, see throughout the book. Wow! But I didn't find it confusing at all. It was uh, easy to keep up with who was who. Um, even though, um, besides having the several narrators, it also spans about two decades in time. Um, so it, one of the things that I always find when I pick up a book is I look at the opening line um, because that's something that's going to either pull you in or not. It's a, a huge part of the writing is the opening line. And um, the Night Circus had one of the best opening lines I read in years. It starts with, the circus arrives without warning. No announcements precede it. No paper notices on downtown posts and billboards. No mentions or advertisements in local newspapers. It is simply there when yesterday it was not. See, already I want to know more about this. What is the Night Circus? Exactly. And that's, it pulls you in right from the start, right from the opening line. Um, I did find that uh, after the opening line, it was a bit slow. It took me probably at least 10 to 15% of the book before I really said, yes, I like this. Um, at the beginning, I was almost worried I wasn't going to be able to finish it, but I stuck with it, and I'm so, so, so glad I did. Um, it works a little bit like um, like Pulp Fiction or a Guy Gabriel K novel in that you can't really figure out what's happening until the very end because the tale is almost like a spiral. You You start with so much information coming at you and eventually it all narrows down to this one thing and you say, oh, that's what she was getting at. Okay. Um, there's a lot of layers, a lot of nuances. Um, I would say it's mostly going to appeal to people with patience who, um, who find pleasure in words because one of the great things about this book is, is the way it's written. It is just absolutely beautiful prose. Uh, so the, the story of the book is um, Cel- Celia Bowen is um, left with her father at age five and um, she has this ability to do magic and her father is um, a magician both on stage and in reality and he uses magic and passes it off as illusion and when he realizes that Celia has a gift for this he contacts an old friend of his and signs her up for a challenge with another student of, of his colleagues choosing and she doesn't know what the challenge is. She doesn't know how they will decide who wins. She doesn't know anything. And she starts undergoing rather horrific training to be this magician. Her father slices her fingertips open just to see if she could heal them. And he does this repeatedly over and over and over again. And it's, it's psychological torture as well as physical for her. Uh, she's got a rather horrendous childhood because of it. And years down the road, she takes a job as an illusionist in this circus, in this night circus. And that becomes the battleground for this challenge. And she doesn't know who her opponent is, uh, but his name is Marco, and he works as the assistant to the proprietor of the circus. And the two of them use their magical abilities to improve the circus, to um, make things work better, uh, to make floating animals on the carousel, to do strange things with the lighting that wouldn't otherwise work. And then the story is not just about their challenge. It's about the effects of their challenge on the circus. For example, everyone who's involved in this circus stops aging. And um, they don't know what's going on. They're just normal people who are trying to build a circus. But over time, they start realizing, you know, something is not right here. Uh, Which is a a pretty cool thing. Um, If you can just imagine going to work one day and realizing, hey, 
I've been here five years and I haven't aged a day. Right. <laughs> now, do, do they eventually all just sort of uh, cloud, like uh, get together and, and, and realize this? Some of them do. Uh, some of them decide they would rather not know. Um, that's, that's one of the things about the book is, is the way different people react to this challenge. And it, in some ways, that's what the challenge is about is the magicians themselves withstanding the uh, effects of watching everyone else respond to them, not knowing what's going on, the confusion they're causing in others. And um, one of the great things about this book is that she really, the author Erin Morgenstern, she really appeals to all the senses. She talks about the black and white color scheme. She talks about the caramel smell of apples that just permeates the circus. She talks about the feel of silk, the sounds of the circus, the silence when someone's in awe. She really tries to hit you from every direction, which it, she builds great atmosphere. It's, it's really quite incredible to read. And you were saying this, this comes right down to like the, the, la- the last couple cha- chapters kind of around it all together? Absolutely. You don't know what's going to happen until right at the end. And you, what you said about the, the back of the, uh, the, you know, what it says on the tin isn't exactly what's inside. You know, because I usually when uh, someone's going to talk about a book, I'll, I'll pick out the right jingle. And, you know, I went by a, a cursory glance at the, you know, summary of the book. And I went, okay, it's a, that's a fiction, right? You know, it sounds more like a, the fantasy jingle might have been a little bit more appropriate. I would say it's closer to literary fiction than fantasy. Okay. Um, just because of the style of the book. And I think that a lot of fantasy readers expect more of a tightly wound pace. Right, right. Uh, whereas this is sort of slow. It's it's almost languid. Um, and as, as I said, it took me a while to get used to. But uh, when I finished the book, I started another fantasy book, and I was almost jarred by how much less rich the writing was. Hmm. Um, I, I really did love that the book was more about the circus than the challenge. Um, but over time, you, you come to realize that what the author is actually describing is the effects of the challenge of, on the circus. She really she leads you up um, to a very surprising conclusion, and um, I really liked it. I thought it was an excellent book. I would highly recommend it to anyone who uh, can work with that slower pace, and uh, to anyone who has the patience to get through the first perhaps ten percent of the book before things really start to sink in. Yeah, because you know, for me myself, I, I have no problem pulling the parachute on any book. So I can if I'm ten percent in and I'm not really into it, I'll usually jump. But this, I'm know, usually like that too. Um, but there are a few people I know who reviewed this book whose opinions I generally trust. So I stuck with it, and I'm really glad I did. Okay, I'm putting it. I'm putting it uh, on my list for Book Mountain. Okay. And it's a big Book Mountain. I still got to climb, but uh, it's definitely going to be one of the rungs on the ladder there. Uh, the Night Circus by Aaron Morgenstern. Am I saying that right? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to play a, really, a quick clip here. It's a short one of Jim Dale narrating the uh, part of the book, uh, which is available at, at any of your local audiobook. I love Jim Dale. There you go. You yourself are debating departing when it happens. First, there is a popping sound. It is barely audible over the wind and conversation. A soft noise like a kettle about to boil for tea. Then comes the light. All over the tents, small lights begin to flicker, as though the entirety of the circus is covered in particularly bright fireflies. The waiting crowd quiets as it watches this display of illumination. Someone near you gasps. A small child claps his hands with glee at the sight. When the tents are all aglow, sparkling against the night sky... The sign appears. 
stretched across the top of the gates, hidden in curls of iron, more firefly-like lights flicker to life. They pop as they brighten, some accompanied by a shower of glowing white sparks and a bit of smoke. The people nearest to the gates take a few steps back. At first, it is only a random pattern of lights, but as more of them ignite, it becomes clear that they are aligned in scripted letters. First, a C is distinguishable, followed by more letters, a Q, oddly, and several E's. When the final bulb pops alight and the smoke and sparks dissipate, it is finally legible, this elaborate incandescent sign. Leaning to your left to gain a better view, you can see that it reads, Le Cirque des Rêves. Some in the crowd smile knowingly, while others frown and look questioningly at their neighbors. A child near you tugs on her mother's sleeve, begging to know what it says. The Circus of Dreams comes the reply. The girl smiles delightedly. Then the iron gates shudder and unlock, seemingly by their own volition. They swing outward, inviting the crowd inside. Now the circus is open. Now you may enter. So even just listening to that uh, little clip that I got there, I, I was uh, intrigued as to you know, what the circus was all about. The Night Circus. Well, I hope you enjoy it when you get around to reading it. I, I hope I do as well, and uh, our listeners as well. Uh, Mr. Greg, you've been following all the um, Oscar happenings? Yes, I have. Do we have any, any books? I know that we have a couple of big books, including uh, uh, the one audio book I listened to, uh, the, the Help, that was uh, right. directed uh, by our friend Gabrielle DeCure. Hope okay. to have her on the show soon. I know that one was uh, doing really well in the box office and with nominations. Well, good news for fans of The Help. Octavia Spencer has already won for Best Performance by an Actress in a Supporting Role for her role in The Help. Uh, also, when it comes to books, uh, Hugo, which was uh, based on the book uh, The Invention of Hugo Cabaret by Brian Selznick. That has already won two awards this evening, one for Best best Achievement in Cinematography and Best Achievement in Art Direction. So there you go. That's your live blog, which, if you're listening live, is live. And if you're listening on Monday. And and I have to ask, has um, Sasha Baron Cohen fallen out of the sky yet on a rope? Um, Sasha Baron Cohen uh, made good on his threats to uh, make a – Big entrance, and he walked in with uh, with an urn. He was walking the red carpet in his alter ego as the dictator. Okay. Uh, the upcoming movie based on uh, the book Habiba and the King, and he spilt what on a, look. It was obviously a staged event. He spilt the ashes on Ryan Seacrest, and he claims that the ashes were the ashes of King John. Kim Jong-il. Oh, good Lord. So there you go. That's, <laughs> that's uh, nice. So, Jimmy, can you put that one in the uh, the prediction book for the other show as confirmed? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I think um, that was the quickest con- confirmation we've had. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> good times. Uh, you know what? We're going to come back with uh, – come on, Z, I know you have a book that we're going to talk about. But yes. uh, we're about uh, close to halfway, and we're going to come right back with an interview I did uh, just today with uh, Cindy Rakowitz. 
the host of Stars of PR on Voice America Radio. And uh, then we'll we'll talk about your book, Kamanzi. Cool. Haven't forgotten you there. I see you're, you're the only one in a, in a suit and tie on the Skype screen, so you, <laughs> you do stand out, sir. <laughs> uh, just in case my mom was looking, I wanted to make sure I looked sharp. <laughs> and we'll we'll be right back, gentlemen. And lady. <laughs> this is Gabrielle DeCure, the voice of Valentine in Ender's Game. And you're listening to Paul the Book Guy. Book Guys! From 1986 to 2001, Cindy Rakowitz managed Playboy's policies in the fields of public relations, marketing, and advertising. After leaving Playboy, she was involved in starting two other companies, R&R Entertainment and BR Public Relations. She is now the host of Stars of PR on Voice America Radio, a live weekly radio program dedicated to uh, PR and marketing. And if all that wasn't enough, she is now also the author of the new book, Emergency Public Relations, Crisis Management in a 3.0 World, and Cindy joins us here now. Hello, Cindy. Hi there, Paul. Thank you so much for having me. You've become an idol. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a lot of fun being on Stars of PR. I really enjoyed it. We'll, we'll always have a radio collaboration. <laughs> now, now, tell us a bit about your new book, Cindy. Do you want, oh, about the new book? Um, I'm, I'm really excited about it because it packages everything that people have to know to prepare for an unanticipated event or emergency. And in the public relations field, people sometimes think that it's always glamorous and about celebrities and, you know, we have the Oscars tonight and people think of that kind of PR because they fantasize that they want to be with all the celebrities and all that kind of stuff. But there's a very, very serious side of public relations and that's crisis management. And not all publicists really have the experience to do that. And, um, gosh, you know, in these days, there's so much that can go wrong, and we've seen it happen with unpredictable weather patterns and Ponzi schemes and, you know, um, celebrity affairs and drug overdoses, um, earthquakes, lots of those, um, sinking ships. So the question... The, que- the questions that these, this book answers is, how do you prepare for these kinds of unanticipated events um, without being caught like a deer in the headlights? And I think that we've seen many times that some organizations and individuals have prepared for these events, and sometimes they don't. And uh, we'd like to help people be one of, those, one of those people that look like they were ready for it. Yeah. Now, now uh, you say that's a 3.0 world. And now um, I know that with the advent of Twitter and Facebook, uh, that seems right now to be one of the quickest and most uh, personal ways that uh, companies can reach their uh, users or uh, customers. And uh, are, are they are the social media sites and apps right now the front line of emergency PR, or is it still a print and television and, and radio world? Well, I think it's I think it's the prior. I think it really is the front lines. Um, what people don't realize today, particularly folks who are not early adapters to social media sites, um, they don't understand that communication spreads like wildfire. Um, it just, uh, you know, in one New York minute, the world knows about an event. So it's really important for organizations to monitor social media sites and communicate with their constituents on social media sites. Um, one 
one example of um, a company that learned very quickly that they had to get their act together on social media is Domino's Pizza. And um, I'm not sure. Do you have Domino's Pizza in Canada? Uh, we do. Not, not many locations, but we do, yes. Okay, well, what happened was is some two employees did a horrible prank, which involved, um, you know, mucus stuff on pizzas, and they thought it was funny, and they put it up on YouTube. And, uh, gosh, it got everywhere really, really fast. And at the time, Domino's Pizza really didn't have much of a presence on social media. But because they had very, very strong company values, they were able to get in front of it very quickly. Um, but it was a lesson for everybody that you don't want to hear from the public, you know, calling up and saying, oh, my God, my pizza is poisoned, right. okay, because they saw something on YouTube that the company wasn't able to monitor and had to respond later rather than sooner. Had Domino's Pizza been able to monitor this prank um, within the same time that the world was seeing it, they could have responded really quickly, put on Twitter saying this is a prank, these employees um, violated health code and they were fired, and this is just an exception to the rule rather than the rule. But instead, they had a stammer a couple of hours, and nobody has the luxury of a couple of hours anymore. Right. So you got to get your constituents and your lists in order and communicate with your customers and monitor what people are saying about you very, very quickly. you got to manage your own reputation online before somebody else does that for you. Absolutely. And uh, we actually we were speaking with a, a lady named uh, Rebecca Haynes recently uh, for another show. And uh, she was the lady who had her, her, her cupcake in a jar confiscated by the TSA. Wow. And there's an, another prime example where uh, the TSA's response was slow um, and uh, really negative. So uh, they actually turned more people against them, whereas the bakery saw this story, and I mean, I mean, within minutes, they were online on their Twitter, Facebook, uh, talking about how dangerously good their cupcakes were. So it was kind of like two, two different organizations did it. One did it the right way, one did it the wrong way. And it happens all the time. And yes, 3.0, again, I can't emphasize enough if anybody, especially if you're in the communications business, <laughs> yes. you got you to become a part of the conversation. Now, what can what uh, can you give us a little glimpse into what people will learn uh, by uh, reading your book? Sure, um, it, we try to break things up very, very simply, and we talk about something called the crisis mindset, which is, you know, always being prepared for something to happen. Don't always you always have to be ready. You should have a risk plan. You should have a crisis plan. So therefore, if something were to go awry, you you are ready, and you don't have to scramble. Um, we talk about um, the importance of building a mission statement, so that if you are a food manufacturer and you some tainted food was found, if you have a mission statement that you have a commitment to excellence and are are you know influenced by the highest standards of health codes, and this is just a mistake. Um, you are more ready than <laughs> saying no comment, which we know you shouldn't say, right? Right. Um, we, we get into how to do a comprehensive plan. So for those that might be a little frozen and need a little direction, we give you um, the step-by-step list of what to do and what to include in your comprehensive plan. We talk about messaging and how to respond to the media, a little bit about media behavior. 
we really get into great detail about messaging and the right way to communicate a message and how to develop your message. And we go into reputation management and social media. We even include some tips in a very easy way in how to use LinkedIn and how to use Twitter and how to use Facebook and why Facebook is not just to communicate with your children or your grandchildren. Right. And we have... Um, we have a drill, um, an, a mock drill that we encourage emergency facilitators to use to practice um, in the event of a crisis. Well, that's brilliant. Um, that's really a lot of fun. So I, it's really a handbook of what to do, and we try to encapsulate the information so simply. I think that's brilliant. It's one of the emergencies that companies just don't uh, have a drill for. They do a fire drill. They'll do all kinds of other things, but they don't. Uh, a lot of companies don't do a drill for what happens if you know uh, some negative information gets online rather quickly. Well, yeah, but it's not just online. We also include the physical disasters as well because my co-author Alan Bernstein has a lot of experience in that arena. He's actually written. Um, three prior editions many, 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 many years ago before online existed. And um, so I don't want the world to think that this is only online and virtual world stuff. It's also physical world stuff. And I think this is the first book that really ties everything together, 30 years of physical disaster history, and then modifying it with the veneer of the 3.0 necessities. So that's what makes the book, I think, relevant. Right, right. Now, now, just a few minutes before we started speaking, uh, just a little example here. There was a, a train derailment here in Ontario, and uh, one person has died, and it was a via rail train. And um, just because we were talking about this book and this kind of thing happening, we just discussed physical things that just happened. Mm-hmm. Um, no mention of anything on the Via Rail site. And I think that's kind of not the way to work things in, uh, in today's world. We can't just pretend that it didn't happen, kind of like what Domino's did for a couple hours after this uh, video came out. You are absolutely right. Um, the worst thing that, that can happen is... Um, a company doesn't respond. We saw that happen with the sinking cruise line off the coast of Italy. Yes. Um, you heard um, standby reports and hearsay information, but nobody from the company itself, you know, could be found. And what did people think? Do they want to book their their cruise trip on a on a with a company that isn't even responding to? A, a ship that's sinking and right. lives and people missing. The thing with Domino's, though, is I think their intentions were right. In the physical world, I think they would have handled it right. They just had to catch up to the virtual world. Right. <laughs> so, um, but, no, you're so right, particularly with a derailment. You have people that want to know about their next of kin, and you can't have rumors start spreading. You've got to be the right. source. Right, people should have should have been able to go to the, the their site and and got as much information as they could. But now they have to be turning to you know uh, local TV stations and and whatnot for, for yeah, information. No, you're exactly right. The first thing a company should do is get their information in order with their first responders, and then post online official information so that the news broadcasts mirror exactly what you know the company or organization's right. protocol for safety is. Absolutely. Now, now, Cindy, um, stars of PR on Voice America, can you uh, let us know where people can uh, listen to your show? 
sure. They could they could always find a show, even your show, Paul the Book Guy, um, through going through the archives at www.voiceamerica.com. And like you, I just really enjoy talking to people, and I think people can have a lot of fun. Absolutely. And uh, your book is Emergency Public Relations, Crisis Management in a 3.0 World, and it is out now? It is, uh, it is available. People can actually... Um, see, get a copy of it on www.emergencypublicrelations.com. Wonderful. And we will put a link to that on the website. And I hope you will return one day, Cindy. I'd love to have you on for a, for maybe for a whole episode of Book Guys and join us in the crew and just chat about some books. I'd love to. And the same with you, Paul. I, you know, you're always welcome as a guest on the show. Oh, you let me know when I'm there. All right. Well, thank you so much. (laughs) Take care, Cindy. All right. Thanks so much again. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And we are back. I might go get that book. That sounds really interesting. Yeah, Cindy Rackwitz. She's, uh, you know, been in PR for a while. She was, uh, you know, doing the marketing for marketing PR for uh, Playboy Industries for the longest time. And uh, now she owns, I believe she's in two companies now and uh, doing her show on Voice America Radio. Good times, good times. And Mr. Kamanzi, Constable, I know you have a book this week. Yes, sir. And uh, what did what did you read this week that you enjoyed? I actually read several books, but uh, one I want to talk about is The Art of Nonconformity by Chris Gillibu. But um, if you don't mind, before I do that, Paul, can I give a quick shout-out? Because I know my kids will be listening to this podcast tomorrow. Absolutely. But I want to say hi to Michael, Matthew, and Lana, and then also my wife, Tanya. And uh, some guys that I've converted to be loyal Bookeye listeners, our friend William Hefflinger and my friend Shaka Delanella are listening live right now. So I want to say what's up to them. And how you doing? <laughs> yeah. Now you can and, tell uh, them all our behind-the-scenes secrets. That's right. Behind the curtains. Yeah, this whole, yeah. <laughs> all of our backroom chat stuff and yelling at each other. No, just no. Kidding. Paul made me sign a non-disclosure agreement, so I can't say anything. So you can't take you can't take screenshots of the chat room here. That's awesome. And uh, when you guys go download the Book Guys podcast for tomorrow, actually, my friend Shaka is a um, a music artist, and he has a CD on iTunes. So when you download the Book Guys shows, look up the name Morse Renaissance by C. Dillonell. And uh, download that. It is an awesome CD. And awesome. Uh, you'll enjoy that. So you can listen to both uh, right back to back. Very cool. Send me a link. I'll put it in the show notes. Come on, Z. Okay, I will do that, Paul. Thank you. And so um, before I talk about the art of nonconformity, I do believe there is a prologue that probably would uh, get us all started. And Yeah. You know what? I have a little clip. Or Do you, do you want to read the prologue or? Uh, why don't you uh, play the clip and then I'll tell you my yeah, thoughts. Because I'm not sure what the, uh, which clip it would be, but uh, here we go. Okay. Prologue. Look at that. It's the prologue. <laughs> prologue. <laughs> when you were a kid and wanted to do something your parents or teachers didn't like, you may have heard the question, if everyone else jumped off a bridge, would you? The idea is that it's not good to do something stupid, even if everyone else is doing it. The logic is... Think for yourself instead of following the crowd. It's not bad advice, even if it's sometimes used to exert control more than to support independent thinking. But one day, you grow up and suddenly the tables are turned. People start expecting you to behave very much like they do. 
If you disagree and don't conform to their expectations, some of them get confused or irritated. It's almost as if they're asking, Hey, everyone else is jumping off the bridge. Why aren't you? I wrote this book to help bring the childhood message up to adulthood application. Screw those people jumping off the bridge. Make your own decisions. Live your own life. Asking why to everything, like a three-year-old, is helpful in making sure you don't jump off the bridge without at least considering the alternatives. Whenever you find yourself confronted by a request, obligation, or expectation you don't like, it helps to look carefully for the motivations and rationale behind what you hear. When you ask why and the answer comes back, because that's what you're supposed to do, you know you're looking out over the bridge again. In the average day, you'll confront this reality many times in work, relationships, and the countless decisions and choices you're required to make. The presence of the bridge and the expectations of other people are somewhat unavoidable. Whether you jump or not, however, is entirely up to you. Even if the people giving it to you weren't that great at following it themselves, the counsel you may have heard at a young age was correct. Why jump off the bridge just because everyone else is doing it? You can step back from the ledge, turn around, and walk away into new adventures that had previously been only fleeting ideas. You can also help other people walk away from the bridge, or you can rewrite the rules that brought you to the bridge in the first place. The possibilities are unlimited, but it all begins with the deliberate choice to think differently. And there you go. There's a prologue. The, the thing that um, made me want to read this book, Paul, was, well, first I had heard several people talking about it, but Chris Gillibu himself is a pretty interesting guy. Um, he has a mission to travel to every country in the world by the time he's 35. And I believe he's, I want to say it's like 34 or something like that. And at this point, he's been to 180 countries out of 193. Wow. So he is getting pretty close. No kidding. And, um, you know, he wrote the thing that appeals about the book is Chris Gillibu is just an average guy working in an office, you know, at a job he kind of didn't like. And he had read a story, an article about a guy who was a doctor in uh, West Africa, and he was helping uh, people in um, war-torn countries, um, and he was giving them aid on this uh, medical ship. And that really struck a chord with them. Could he do something like that? And I do believe it was like four years later, he was actually on that ship with that guy. And the book is about, you know, the story in between about how he got there, how he quit his job, and how he started a, a business where he was selling Jamaican coffee online just to make some cash, and um, how he just did random things to be uh, self-employed. And, um, you know, he did that because he wanted to live a certain lifestyle, and he thought that uh, money wasn't everything. It was more important that he actually enjoys his life and enjoys the experiences that he's going to have in his life. And so, yeah, he uh, became self-employed. He went to that, uh, was on that hospital ship for a couple of years and then, you know, began a quest to travel the world and uh, write about it. And uh, he's been featured everywhere. But the book itself, you know, The Art of Nonconformity, I mean, you can guess what it's talking about in the title, but just not conforming to what society thinks that we should do, you know, we should right. go to high school, graduate, go to college, incur $50,000 worth of debt, 
um, get some degree, then go get another job that's not part of that degree, and then, you know, just be miserable, you know, and pop out a yeah, couple they, kids. There's a lot of people uh, in North America right now that, uh, are, you know, they're they're down with $80,000, $100,000 in debt, and, uh, you know, they're working at Wendy's. I mean, not necessarily does not necessarily mean you you know uh, just because you graduated with that engineering degree doesn't mean you're going to have work, especially if they're not making anything or building anything. No, and I and I think there's a statistic that says eighty percent of people are either not in the occupation that they got their degrees in, you know, and so they're doing other things. And with the economy the way it is, you know, that's that's just how it goes. And, you know, he just challenges you to really think about what you want from your life. You know, is it about money? Is it about, you know, enjoying the experiences that you have in life and uh, just how short life is? It's a, it's a really good book. And uh, the name of the book again is? The Art of Nonconformity. By Chris Gillibo. Gillibo. Yep. Fantastic. We'll put a link in the show notes as well to the book. And uh, you recommend it for pretty much anyone? I recommend it, yeah, for pretty much. I think, I mean, at least people that would probably be listening to this podcast, the majority of us aren't probably not exactly thrilled with what we're doing. I don't know. Maybe there are some that do love what they do. But for those that, you know, are kind of just on the borderline, yeah, this would be something that kind of gets you thinking, might even push you to action. Well, I think the only one here who's uh, thrilled with what he's doing is uh, Sir Jimmy, international spy. <laughs> <laughs> he's our James Bond. Just saying. Now, uh, I wish you folks were listening to all the chat we're having in our back chat uh, today. It's pretty exciting, actually. <laughs> I have to say. I'm, um, I'm keeping it real in the <laughs> chat room right now. <laughs> uh, you, Greg, you want to do a Think Geek item this week? Oh, we had competing Think Geek items of the week. Oh, we should yeah. maybe do like a little uh, rock, paper, scissors between myself and uh, Jim. But Oh, so did Sir Jimmy have one as well or Jim? I don't know. It was Jim Phillips. Phillips. Jim Phillips. 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 Oh, all right, let's, let's break it down then quickly because we got uh, book news too as well coming up. Yes. The Think Geek item of the week from thinkgeek.com all you gotta do is go to bookguys.ca slash thinkgeek and we post their items that we have personally used we enjoy from uh, thinkgeek and you get extra discounts and stuff we post all the deals there uh, Mr. Phillips what you got Mr. Ott what you got I, I've got 1400 pages of it's called the Tic Tac Tome the automatic Tic Tac Toe playing book it's 1,400 pages of book that's going to play tic-tac-toe against you, and it guarantees that it's going to win. Okay. <laughs> so, so basically what you're going to do is you're going to, you're going to uh, flip this book. It's going to ask you certain things. You flip to – I guess it's kind of like uh, – it's like a, one of those pick-your-own-adventure books right? from okay. when you were a kid. But it's so, going to play tic-tac-toe against you. So, so they, they figured out the algorithm how to always beat you with tic-tac-toe and put it in book format. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, they should I'm just gonna, make it. I'm going to get this one. I'm going to get this one. And I, I promise you, listeners, you know, normally we, we only put things on that we've actually used. I'll, full disclosure, I haven't used this one. I'm going to get it in our next order. If it sucks, I'll come back on and say it sucks. <laughs> All right. All right. I, I, I believe I'm Mr. Phillips. I on anything that's not good. I believe Mr. Phillips is back. 
Yeah, sorry about that. Not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, this uh, episode of Book Guys is always brought to you by Microsoft Skype. <laughs> Yes, indeed. Uh, so this item is uh, for all of the Lego and Star Wars uh, fans out there. I'm sure there's probably more than one. Yeah. Um, there's one <laughs> sitting right next to me at the moment. Uh, the Lego Star Wars minifig alarm clock. Basically, if you're familiar with Legos, the Lego uh, minifigs, the little tiny mega, uh, Lego figures, uh, is basically a big one. It's still poseable, and you can pull it apart and do all the usual stuff. It's just bigger uh, with a clock built into their chest so kind of cute kind of fun you know for the lego star wars fan in your life yeah well, i'm taking I've a look at that it looks they look really cool, cool. <laughs> you can They're get them in different varieties like you can get the yoda the darth vader the stormtrooper yep the uh, boba I, fett the, i can't see if they're scale no they're they're okay so they're much larger than the the mini they're much, yeah they're, they just, they're about uh 10 inches cool. tall yep yeah they're, they're big mini figs they're not <laughs> the actual <laughs> you just cost me some money That's this week's The Think Geek Item of the Week From ThinkGeek.com Just because we can Book News Uh, Mr. Greg, lots of book news this week And uh, uh, this is one of your posts From ebookguys.ca That was um, No, actually this was Sir Jimmy Uh, According to Fandango uh, the Hunger Games has already, as of, I believe it's two days ago, broken Twilight's opening day advanced ticket sales. Uh, and that is despite the fact that The Hunger Games, the first uh, book in the series and also the first movie, is opening on March 23rd. Yeah, no kidding. I brought this up. Uh, I pulled the story up on the iPad and I was showing it to my wife and no bot. And, uh, and he says... You mean you can already get tickets? He goes, "What are you doing, Dad?" He said, "Go get the tickets." <laughs> I bet you a lot of parents, uh, you know, have gotten that notice. Well, why haven't you bought them yet? <laughs> yeah, so I, I had to run straight out and get ours. So uh, we'll be there at midnight showing. Uh, and I got one more, Greg. I know you got a couple there. Um, oh, I got a bunch. But our, uh, our uh, good friend, or you know, I wish he was our good friend, Mr. Stephen Colbert. Uh, he made a yeah. joke on a, a, an episode uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he basically made a faux children's book called I Am a Pole and So Can You, the story of a pole uh, trying to find its purpose in life. Well, apparently, um, as of uh, today, this is becoming a real book. So it will be published soon. And he says, um, here's a quote from Mr. Stephen Colbert. It's been a lifelong dream of mine to write a children's book. I hope the minutes you and your loved ones spend reading it are as fulfilling as the minutes I spent writing it. So there you go. Uh, I have a childhood comic collection that went for $3.5 million in auction this past week. I'm starting to think you're stealing your news stories out of my, uh, my, my box there. Are you? I'm just kidding. Comic books, comic books, comic books. Please continue. I'm just kidding. All right. Well, uh... <laughs> Young man, about 31 years old, which is young to me now, uh, goes into his uh, aunt's, uh, aunt's, what do you call it, the attic. She's, he's cleaning it out after she passes away. She fi- he finds upwards of 31 uh, comic books. He keeps them. He doesn't bother throwing them out. He doesn't think very much of it. Goes to work, starts talking to some of his buddies. One of his one of his buddies says, "Hey, you know, wouldn't it be funny if you had an Action Comics number one in there?" Says, "I don't know, okay, okay, fine." So he goes back. He starts looking through. He finds he's got 
an Action Comics number one. Yeah, I got three hundred grand for that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is that the one you got three hundred for? Yeah, I thought you got 300 it, it was in the... poor, poorer condition than the. Uh, so Batman wins this time. Yeah, the Batman Batman <laughs> won over Superman this time. Batman got the that was the um, Detective Comics number twenty seven. That's correct. Which was the first appearance of Batman? That went for like half a million. Good lord! <laughs> that was tw- that was the yeah. Yeah, right. You're right. He got three hundred. So that's just for the two of them, and he, and he sold like thirty of them. He probably got over a million dollars for this thing. Yeah. The, the, so the Batman went for five twenty three. The uh, Superman, the Action Comics went for two ninety nine. So yeah, there's a there's actually a guide that you can get. It's called the Overstreet Comic Book Price Guide, and it has a list of all of the all the collectors' comic books of the top one hundred issues from that. He managed to have, or his uncle. Had and he split this collection between himself and his brother. Uh, he had forty in this collection were forty four of the wow. top one hundred three point five million dollars in total. Yeah, yeah folks, five million dollars. If, if you find like your grandpa or your or your dad's uh, comics, if anything with like a fifteen cent or less on the cover as the price, you might want to take a look at it. I know that all the Superman, Batman stuff that's ten cents uh, cover price. Well. Yeah, but the, I mean, the estimate. See, well, the problem with this, this is that a lot of the uh, a lot of the books back then were pulpized for the war effort. So yeah. a lot of these books that were that were printed they, in the 30s and yeah. early 40s, they got know, turned they were, in along with the aluminum foil. Right, you got everything was turned in for for products and and, and uh, materials they're, for the they're war. They're probably effort. Uh, serving French fries in uh, paper cups in uh, you know in bases in uh, all over Europe, made out of. Action Comics number one, and yeah. and the one that he he got a, a considerable amount of money for a, um, it's it's the Captain America that we all make fun of, but it's the one with Hitler on the front cover. He got uh, several hundred thousand dollars for that one as well. I think Captain America killed Hitler like ten times in the comic book series. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I have a quick comic one here. Uh, very recent news: British actor David Morrissey. Uh, has been cast uh, to play the governor, one of the coolest characters in the week or the Walking Dead uh, series of graphic novels. Um, the, this is he eventually this the governor. Spoiler alert here becomes uh, basically the arch enemy to our group of survivors, and uh, he's a nasty, nasty, nasty fellow. And I'm not even going to say why he's nasty. He's just nasty. Uh, hey Paul, before we wrap up, can we do a super quick ten second segment where we talk about what we're reading? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Emma, how you doing there? What what have you been reading lately, Emma? Oh, I think we lost Emma. We lost uh, we lost contact. No, I can I can hear. She just sounds like she's at the bottom of a well. Well, well. Are you okay, Emma? <laughs> we can always call 911 for you. <laughs> no, not yet. Well, while uh, Emma sorts out her microphone there, how about Kamanzi? What have you been reading lately other than uh, the book you brought to us today? Actually, uh, fiction. I've been uh, reading The Born Dominion. Oh, lots of fun, The Born series. Yeah, and you know, I I had only seen the movies, and now that I've been reading the books, the books are way better than the movies are. Okay. Uh, and yeah, I, 
just a lot of twists and turns. And uh, I don't know in the in the books, he, Bourne seems a lot smarter than he does in the movies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and you know they they get to go through a lot more adventure because I mean they boil those books down to you know an hour and a half, right? Yep. Uh, yeah. Mr. Phillips, sir, what, are you doing? what you've been reading lately or listening to? I, I am making my way through a book, uh, nonfiction, uh, called Lords of the Sea, subtitled The Epic Story of the Athenian Navy and the Birth of Democracy. Okay. Nice. Fascinating and educational. Um, I myself also, nonfiction, uh, a book by Mr. Harry Leslie Smith, uh, a true autobiographical tale uh, of his time spent in Germany in the late 1940s, uh, uh, right after the end of World War II, and uh, Really fascinating. Uh, he sent this book to me, and uh, I've been reading it on my iPad. It's just just great. Uh, and Mr. Ott, what do you got? Well, I'm flipping back and forth between the print copy and the audiobook version of uh, Storm of Swords, George R.R. R. Martin. Ah, yes. I have, catch, I have to catch up on that one. Uh, quick quick news, uh, Game of Thrones. There was a new trailer. came out this Friday. Go to HBOGo.com. Um, <laughs> Okay. And I'm also trying to when I'm not when I'm just kind of a little bit tired of that I go uh, and I hit the Aragon. I still have to finish that up. Nice. And you've been really good about not spoiling Game of Thrones for me the last couple I, weeks. I gotta say. Right. Thank you very much. My my wife and my mother, who are both downstairs, are not doing such a good job of spoiling it for me. So that's why I have to read it so that there's no more spoilers. You got to get ahead of them, right? Yeah, I'm gonna get ahead of them. I'm gonna do I'm gonna get right back at them. And, and I think, uh, oh, I, and I have an extra microphone for you here, Mr. Greg. And uh, I believe I'm going to have one more. And I believe, Emma, I, I think you're going to get that microphone. Uh, Emma typed in the chat room here. She says uh, she's reading The Politics of Identity in Irish Drama. Nice. Sounds, Some, sounds heavy. It does. It does. <laughs> and I, mys- I'm, oh. I myself have uh, picked up one of the classics. I have started A Brave, a brave New World. Oh, Brave New World. Uh, good stuff. Uh, Aldous Huxley. Uh, let us know. Let us know. I know, uh, I believe it was uh, Mr. Chris Jaker who brought that to the table earlier. And I think we've so. Also, we've also it wasn't done, me. And uh, we've talked about the uh, the audio drama as well, which is also, you know what, uh, Brave New World, uh, take a listen as the audio drama. And, you know, from that 45-minute to one-hour listen, you'll know if you want to read the whole uh, thing. And that is the all-too-familiar music. We will see you again next week, folks. Uh, my name is Paul the Bookguy. And Mr. I'm Jimmy. Okay. Sir Jimmy. Sir Jimmy, yes. Thank you for joining us, Kamanzi. Jim Phillips, Emma Cunningham from emmacunningham.ca. Thank you, Paul. We will return next week, folks. Same book time, same book channel. book readers and book listeners Paul the book guy will be back next week same book time same book channel